Welcome to Elmira Baptist Church Sunday School. We're doing a study of Colossians, and I think we studied it, started in May of 2022, and uh, we're, I heard that, <laughs> people are laughing. Welcome to everyone online and uh, uh, also everyone here. Glad to see everybody. And uh, uh, been some good studies that I've really enjoyed. This week was really powerful, the subject matter. And uh, so if you want to turn in, in your Bibles to Colossians 3, um, um, somebody's going to read verses 1 through 4, and then uh, also 5 through 11. And then we'll have a, a um, prayer and start our lesson. So um, who has, uh, oh, Cindy has, uh, thank you, Cindy, for reading. Colossians uh, one, 3, verses 1 through 4. This is what we looked at last week. Colossians 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. So now we're starting a whole new section of this. It goes all the way through chapter 4, verse 6. We won't cover all that today. <laughs> but that was a joke. And uh, because we only do about two or three verses at a time. Because I don't want to rush through this. This is too wonderful and too sweet to rush through. It's really a great, great thing to be looking at. And God's word is, is always great, but there's a lot here to really, uh, this, this book is chocked full of doctrine. And so, and we have moved into the, from doctrine into the practical side. And uh, so we will... <clears throat> And probably won't get through verse 11. This section runs verses 5 through 11. And um, let's see, uh, Chuck, no, like uh, Connie, excuse me. Connie has that. Concupiscence. I could never pronounce that concupiscence. I finally looked it up, and, and it, no, it, yeah, but I grew up in the church, and I should, you know, I should be able to pronounce that. I grew up with the King James too, so I, I think I'd be able to pronounce that. Um, so, it, we're going to look at what it means. Hold that thought. Aha! I got you interested now, huh? Okay, okay. So, Chuck, uh, Chuck would you uh, 
help us, uh, would you ask the Lord to be with us and pray as we get started? Amen. So uh, if you want to uh, turn to the first page of your handout, the orange handout, uh, we're going to start right there. And uh, introduction, you see the uh, guidelines for the Christian life, 3, 5 through Colossians 4, 6 in the heading. And the first lesson, which this is in that section, introduction, and then mortify the sins of the old life. Colossians 3, 5 through 11. And that's only part one of that section that we're going to look at. So by way of introduction, in Colossians 3, Paul shifts to a practical emphasis uh, in, in, the, in the nature of the content of his writing. And he examines the expression and the application of true doctrine in the Christian life. He's given us a bunch of doctrine that's very important and deep doctrine and some of which we literally, our minds can't even comprehend. Now we're moving to the practical application of that doctrine, what we then are duty bound to do as a result of knowing the truth. So he encourages and exhorts the Christian to live out their relationship with Christ in their daily lives. And he explains uh, the truth and doctrine of our inward relationship and, with Christ in verse chapters 1 and 2. And now he turns to the outward expression of that and demonstration of that inward relationship we have with Christ. We have a relationship with Christ. Well, how does that work itself out? And he is going to give us uh, specific examples of living out that relationship that we have with Christ. So back, back to the handout in the middle of the paragraph A, introduction, Paul now in chapter 3 examines those outward evidences, evidences and those actions and activity that result from that inward relationship. In verses 1 through 4, Paul emphasized our being risen with Christ and our vital union with Christ that provides the power and, and the enabling for holy living, which is sanctification. If you remember the law over and over and over again, as well as asceticism, which was close to the law, those the commandments could not provide the power for us to live like Christ and live in a way which was pleasing to him. But now we have, through our union with Christ, the power to do that. So I have a quote here, both by Vaughn and MacArthur. Uh, Vaughn says, these verses 1 through 4, which Cindy read, these four verses then, that's the ones, if you then be, since you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. 
These four verses then point to the believer's union with Christ as the root principle of the whole Christian life. It is the point of departure. It's a starting place. And it's the source of power for all that we do. Curtis Vaughn. And MacArthur says it's a, tr it's a call to true spirituality. So I like that. And so paragraph B, Paul emphasizes the following since our, our, um, the King James renders that if, but it's if in the sense of S-I-N-C-E. In other words, a certain number of facts are true, and that's doctrine. Then this should occur. If then you be, since you are risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Okay, so number one was seek heavenly things where Christ sits on the right hand of God. That was verse one. And verse two, set your affection or minds on heavenly things, things above, not earthly things. Three, for ye have died. This is the why or reasons. For you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. That was verse three. And then verse four, you also will appear or be revealed manifested with him in glory with Christ who is our life. I like that term. Christ should be our life. Okay. Uh, uh, paragraph C. After uh, Paul, rather, after declaring this fundamental and controlling principle of our union with Christ and the new risen life, he describes in Colossians 3, 5 to 4, 6, the next section, the living out of this truth in practical ways. That's the next section. And Vaughn describes it in this long sentence here. I guess a couple of sentences. In short, Paul, the apostle, teaches that the Christian's experience calls not simply for regulating the earthbound life, that's the life in the world, but for digging out its roots and utterly destroying it because we're supposed to leave the things from the world behind and move away from the world. And while we're in the world, we're not of the world. And he says, in this way, the new life in Christ will have free course and will attain full dominion, meaning power. So putting the old things behind and not reverting to them and living the new life, the new risen life will help us uh, help the Lord Jesus Christ have full control of our lives. The underlying thought he goes on to say is let the life that is in you by virtue of your union with Christ work itself out and express itself in every thought, every deed, and every relationship. And that's a really good summary of what we're going to be talking about. Um, so um, I took uh, some slogans um, that uh, Charles Erdman had, and I kind of modified them for the alliteration. And so I, um, er, Paul always relates that doctrine, um, he always relates doctrine to duty. So we have a duty as a result of doctrine, what, 
what the Bible tells us, what we know we're responsible for. So we have a duty, a doc, he relates doctrine to duty, he relates creed to character. Creeds are like the Apostle Creed, things that we believe that have been written down for us to understand. Creed to character, he relates, and he relates belief, what we believe, to behavior. So doctrine to duty, creed to character, belief to behavior. I like that. It kind of summarizes that. Okay, so now, uh, so we're, um, we're on page one, paragraph D, towards the bottom of the page. There are many comprehensive ideas in this, this, these passages that we have, uh, these verses, Colossians 3, 5 to 11. A lot of deep thoughts on what we should be doing as a result of what, what the doctrine is, what our duty is, and what, what character we should be displaying, and what behavior we should because of our beliefs. But there are four major themes. Number one is what we'll talk about today, deaden the old. And that's uh, the mortify, to deaden. Deaden the old. Colossians 3, verse 5 through 11. The second one is, now you notice the alliteration here. Develop the new. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. We'll look at that in the future. And then after that, we'll look at desire Christ-like relationships. Because in these passages, it talks about what, you're, what the husband's supposed to do, what the wife's supposed to do, what the children are supposed to do, and goes on. And then and it goes on to even talk about slaves, uh, which we can relate to employment. Uh, and then finally, devote ourselves, if you will, to Christian duty, Colossians 4, 2 through 6. And once we get into this far, we start after that, we get into Paul's greetings and commendations, etc. So we'll be on our way home after for that. So the first one is deaden yourselves to the sins of the old life. Um, which Connie read, Colossians 3, 5 through 11. Now, so looking at that paragraph, um, the Colossians were exposed to and had come out of a pagan culture. I mean, we say we don't have idols in our society, but we do. You know, they're called uh, Cadillacs and uh, uh, sports memorabilia and... Um, all types of idols that, that we have, um, electronics, <laughs> etc. So, the, but the Colossians were exposed to and had come out of a very pagan culture which uh, fostered religious activities and cultural practices that involve terrible, at least sinful rituals and rites. So, they actually had temples where part of that worship was sexual immorality. And so Paul uses very strong imperative, that means command type language, to express the absolute necessity for the Colossians to abandon the sins of the old life and their worldly pursuits and to move towards the new life. And again, he uses direct, powerful commands like, in this section uh, 5 through 11, we're going to look at mortify or put to death, verse 5, and verse 2, put off, rid yourself, verse 8, and then 
do not lie or stop lying in verse 9. Now, um, a quote that I came up with, I wrote, and um, just listen for the R words, okay? So, true salvation results in a sanctification that reflects a responding to Christ our Lord and not reverting to all things of the world, but ridding ourselves of those things through the power of our union with the risen Christ. So true salvation results in a sanctification that reflects a responding to, the, to Christ our Lord and not reverting to the old things of the world, but ridding ourselves of uh, those things through the power of our union with the risen Christ. So that's what we're going to talk about. If you'll turn to page two of the handout here. So verse, we start with verse five, which reads, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. And it goes on to list them. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. Now that's a horrible verse. Um, and uh, I, let's look at, um, it says, first line of that paragraph 1A, mortify, A1 at the very top, mortify or put to death, therefore your members which are upon the earth. Verse 5. Um, I didn't mean it's a horrible verse. I meant the verses uh, deals with a horrible subject. And, and I, you know, 10 years ago, I don't know if we need to even hardly look at that, maybe 20 years ago. But now, these things are everywhere. And sorry to say, many times much closer to home than we would like to think. Families. Um, in churches and in schools and in places that we would not want these things to be. And so um, Paul directly confronts them because of what existed in that society in that day. But how appropriate is that for today, sadly to say. So uh, I'm not going to get into the gross part of that, but I'm going to talk about what they are and how Paul used those to warn us and to help and to exhort us and command us not to get involved with that stuff. So the Colossians um, died with Christ when they were saved, reading from the handout, item number one there, paragraph number one under A, mortify. And that's the first section. It corresponds to the, three th well, the first of the three things on the bottom of page one. The Colossians died with Christ when they were saved, as in, uh, stated in Colossians 2.20, uh, which reads, Wherefore, or since, ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments or basics or elements of the world. Why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And that was actually Colossians, uh, I read both, yeah, I read 3.3, three, that last sentence. For you're dead, your life is hid with Christ in God. So we have those things, and Paul 
mentions those things to set up talking about these things. So therefore, um, if you notice there's a therefore, uh, and mortify, therefore, uh, as a result of that doctrinal truth, they were to make this death to the old life a reality in their practical living out of this principle in their daily lives. So because of doctrinal truth, they have a duty to live it out. And they were to mortify or deaden or kill or slay those things. Their union with Christ would make this practical living, uh, make this uh, possible. So read, I have some MacArthur quotes and I have more than usual because I think there's some strong points that he makes that are helpful to understand because what does he mean put to death your members which are upon the earth? Does that mean you're supposed to disable your arm so it's just dead? No, he's not talking about that. Um, so let's, let's look at mortify here. Um, and MacArthur says, to clarify what he's saying, you would need to compare just one verse and it would be clear, I think. In Romans chapter 8, verse 13, he says this, if you live after the flesh, you're going to die. But if you, through the Spirit, do kill the deeds of the body, you will live. Notice he doesn't say the members there. He says, kill the deeds of the body, you will live. And what he means in killing is not killing the body, but killing the deeds of the body reading from MacArthur's quote here, if you kill the deeds of the sinful nature, you kill the deeds of the fleshly nature, then you really begin to experience spiritual life, heavenly life, in the way God intended. You really begin to live the risen life. Okay, so now members upon the earth, do you see that halfway down in the first paragraph, A1, at the top towards the top of the page. Members which are upon the earth, mortify members which are upon the earth. They're defined by that list of sins that, that we just read, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. Paul is commanding the Colossians and us, this applies to us, um, Paul is commanding them to urgently and completely mortify make dead, remove the sinful acts, attitudes, desires, and thoughts, all of these worldly and sinful things. These are ungodly. These are the ungodly sinful things that plant themselves in and employ themselves in us, that attack us in the flesh. And of course, he's not saying to harm the members of your body. He is saying, when I speak of putting your members to death, this is a quote from Vaughn, I mean to put to death fornication, uncleanness, and the other things of which your members uh, are, um, and your bodies, and which, of which the members of your bodies are instruments, Curtis Vaughn. And another quote from MacArthur, members which are upon the earth. He says, now I want you to notice back again in Colossians that the term here he uses is kind of interesting and might bring up a little confusion if we didn't deal with it. 
But he says, kill your members which are upon the earth. And I guess, you know, you get the idea after he goes from there. And then he says, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil desire. That was a concupiscence, evil desire and covetousness. Are these our members? I mean, he says, those aren't the members of my body. You know, you think of members of the body as legs and feet and hand, etc. Those are the things the members of my body do. That's the things that they do. Why does he call that the members of my body? Okay. Now, pastor has taught us this uh, a few months ago. So we're going to review it. He says, well, you remember... MacArthur says to his congregation, he's, he's teaching, preaching. Well, you remember a few weeks ago that I mentioned to you a term, the term um, metonymy, spelled M-E-T-O-N-Y-M-Y, metonymy, metonymy, M-E-T-O-N-Y-M-Y, not in your handout, or metonym, like, you know, we hear synonym, that's a word that's like another, so Metonym is spelled M-E-T-O-N-Y-M. And he goes on to say, MacArthur says, and I said that a metonym or a metonymy, as it appears most often, is substituting one thing for another because there's such a close relationship. And he said, I think I confused you. So what he did is he came up with an illustration. He said, remember when you said to your child, don't give me any lip? He said, <laughs> and remember that, that's metonymy. He didn't give you his lip. What did he do? He gave you some back talk, right? So, but because of the association between the talk and the lip that came out of, came out of you substitute the word lip for talk. It's simply a figure of speech. So, um, and because of the association that sin has with our bodily members, Paul calls the members the sinners. That's all. It's just a figure of speech because he wants us to understand that our bodily members that get us into trouble because they're not in control. The members produce the effects mentioned in the five sins that are listed there. And so they're identified with the sins themselves. And then the, uh, and the body members that he talks about there are forms of evil which the body practices. He says, and I want you to know that the Bible gets very specific right from the Ten Commandments when God talks about sin. He doesn't talk in generalities. He talks in clear specifics. And he gives two lists. There's a list in verse 5, you see, which we, uh, that I just reread to you a couple of times. Fornication, uncleanness, in order of affection, evil concupiscence, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And then there's a list in verse 8 which anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication. And he says, and in between, there's something else very interesting, and we'll, we'll mention it to you. But the two lists, the one in verse 5 and the one in verse 8, are simply lists of sin. The first list speaks about unholy kinds of love. And hard to call it love, but it technically... It would fill in, fit into that category. Unholy kinds of love. The second list is wicked kinds of hate. 
Now, he actually says, so they're set in contrast. The first is perverted love, and the second, he's going he's to take an element in, of this, this, these two lists, and he's going to compare five different things. The first one is, the first is perverted love, and the second is wicked hate. The first list begins with sinful deeds or acts or behaviors, and it moves to motives or why. The second list begins, it's just the opposite. The second one begins with those whys and motives and moves to the deeds or acts. And the first list is personal because of the nature of the sin. And the second sin is social. The first one's related to feelings, and the second one is related to speech. That makes sense? Cindy, you're frowning. And what? Okay. Okay. So, so the first one talks about unholy love, um, perverted love, deeds to, uh, it moves from deeds to, um, to motivations or motives, and then it's personal and then it's feelings, whereas the second one, which involves the, the, um, the uh, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication, is wicked hate, and it moves t from motives the opposite way, mo motives to deeds, the why to the act, and then it's social, and then it's related to speech. Okay. I thought that was a really, I had never seen that before. I thought that was very good to see that comparison and in continuing with that quote, he says, so there's an, some interesting parallels and we'll see these as we go. Let's look at the number one in verse five. These are the things that we have to kill, the first list. These are the things that Paul tells us to mortify or kill in our lives. These are the things of the flesh that we have to deal with. They're very, they are personal. There are passion sins. They're related to feeling. He moves from the actual sin or act backwards to the motives. Notice the, sequ the sequence. Kill these things. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil desire, and right on to the very heart of it all, covetousness, which is idolatry. Notice the sequence. Okay. He's first... I'm gonna, yeah, okay, let, I, let, me, let me stop right there and I'll come back to that. So I was at members which are upon the earth and then we looked at Paul uh, Vaughn's quote, when I speak of putting your members to death, I mean, see that last sentence in paragraph one? When I speak of putting your members to death, I mean to put to death fornication and cleanliness of which your members of the bodies are instruments. And then uh, paragraph number two, uh, these are the things, fornication, as we just read, through covetous, which is idolatry. And these are listed by Paul specifically as those earthly, worldly sins of perverted love, which should be put to death. And all of these exclusively refer to sexual sins with the exception of covetousness, which can also include, covetous can also include things about money. And some of us generally just think about coveting as just wanting things and money and possessions. But it also includes sexual greed. And in 
Paul starts with them, I think, because sexual sins were a big problem there, and they were strongly condemned because of the pervasive influence for evil in Paul's day and also ours now. So we're going to go over these, as I said earlier, because in our day, I think we need to know about these and have them right in front of us, unfortunately, so that we need to know to grow. We need to know what they are so that we can grow in strength against and guard against them in every, everywhere. Okay, so uh, I have a quote by Bruce that I wanted to read um, here. F.F. Bruce was a scholar and Greek. He says, Now that you are new men... He says, now that you are new men in Christ, says the apostle, live like new men. You have said goodbye to your old life, therefore have done with all those things that were characteristic of it. You have died with Christ, act, speak, and think. Therefore, to make it plain that this death is no more a figure of speech, but a real event that has severed all the links which bound you to the dominion, the power, the realm, the rule of sin. In short, be in actual practice what you are now by a divine act. I like that. Okay. So now we're in paragraph two, and I'm just going to go through. Um, notice that uh, I've defined these for us, not in an explicit way, but in general. Okay, Fornication means habitual immorality and sexual immorality. Uh, and it also can refer to a specific act. Uncleanness means indecency, impurity, and dirty-mindedness. It means uncleanness in thought, word, and act. Inordinate affection means passion in the bad. It's always used in the bad sense in the, in the New Testament and refers to violent emotions and uncontrolled desire. Evil concupiscence means evil desires for the wrong things. Covetousness, uh, we'll look at in just a minute. So I was giving you that quote from MacArthur who says we need to kill these things. These are the things in the flesh that we have to deal with. MacArthur goes on to say they're personal, they're passion sins, they're related to feeling. And he moves from the actual sin itself backward to motive. So the actual sin is fornication and it moves all the way back to covetousness, which is the source. And he says that's a, that he, he calls it right on back to the very heart of it all. Covetousness, which is idolatry. Fornication means sexual sin. Evil action, he's going to go backwards, Fornication means sexual sins. Evil action occurs because of uncleanness. Uncleanness means an unholy affection. Unholy affection comes from a perverted, passionate heart. And that's what inordinate affection and evil desire mean. And that all comes out of the core of a man's being, which is covetous. And that is man ever wanting what is forbidden. And what it really boils down to is that man is idolatrous because whatever you say, I want, uh, he says, because whenever you say, I want what I want, no matter what God says, you're worshiping yourself 
instead of God. And that's idolatry. He goes on to say, essentially what Jesus said, a man looks on a woman and lusts after her has committed adultery in his heart. It's that evil thought it is behind the evil deed. And when he gets right up front, it becomes a dominating thought. And that is precisely what our Lord meant in Mark 7, 21. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, then adulteries and fornications. You see, adultery and fornication, he says, comes from the evil thought pattern. I've said this so many times. If you control your thoughts, you'll control your body. If you control your mind, you'll control your emotion. Paul says in Romans 12 that when you present yourself to God, you present yourself to God in order that you might have your mind not conform to the world, but what? But to transform, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The mind is a key here. The battle is in the mind. Okay. In other words, it's the mind God wants to capture. It's the mind that controls the behavior. And so evil thoughts produce sin just as righteous thoughts produce righteous deeds. That's why Philippians 4.8 says if there's any virtue, if there's any praise, do what? Think on these things. What things? Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are loving, whatsoever things are good, uh, honest and of good report. That's why Colossians says in verse, chapter 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ be the controlling influence in your mind. That's why we emphasize the study of the Bible. And I think that's so important. And when you see in times when people get away from the Bible is when they get in trouble. Okay. So we're, we're at covetousness. Item, uh, the fifth bullet down here. Co covetous means literally have more, to have more. But it's more than that really because it means a ruthless, an inordinate, an unsatisfiable desire, and that's greed and lust, that actively, continuously, and aggressively seeks after material wealth, possessions, and things along with sexual greed. It's closely related to pride. So, and you see the note here? Often overlooked, Paul describes covetousness as idolatry here and another place as well because the insatiable lust for wealth, possessions, and sexual greed makes material and otherworldly things the focus and the object of our worship rather than God. You know, the 10th commandment tells us we should not covet. So it's sin when we do. And God hates it. Um, so reading a MacArthur quote here, he says, and what covetous really is, he says, is idolatry. Now, just let me give you a simple definition of sin. In your life, as you live, you either worship God or you worship yourself. 
if you truly worship God as God, then you say, God, what pleases you? And God says, this pleases me. And you say, yes, God, that's what I will do. And you say, uh, and if you don't do that, then you say, self, what pleases you? And self says, I want that. And you say, but God says no, and that's forbidden. But self says, I don't care. I want that. And you bow at the shrine of self, and out of that deep-seated covetousness has generated the evil desire that flames itself into an evil thought that generates an evil deed. In order to get to, at the core of sin, I think Paul is driving us back to the fact that if you're going to kill these sins, don't just whack at the branches. Get down to the root of this deal, which is basically the sin of setting yourself up as someone to be worshipped over God, covetousness. And the Greek word for covetousness, and he gives a Greek word, and I won't do that. He says it means to have or have more. And it means more than just to have more. It means to have what isn't yours to have. It's a forbidden thing. In fact, the Greeks themselves defined covetousness as an insatiable desire. And one Greek writer said, you might as, e you might as easily satisfy it as to fill a bowl with a hole in it. You can never fill it up. You can never be satisfied. Sinful desire, ruthless self-seeking, it's that deep-seated covetousness that really, it's a twin to pride, isn't it? It's a twin to pride. Now, that, that really got me. I thought about that. Pride is, you know, God really hates pride. We know that. Eyes in the middle of pride. We get that. But I read, I read this thing where this guy said, you know, he talked to a bunch of, he said, I, I think I'll talk to priests because people confess to them. And he said to this priest, has anybody ever confessed the sin of covetousness? And he says, no, <laughs> no, that's a root. That's a twin to pride. So it's got to be, you know, you, uh, guilty of it as much as pride. And he says, um, it, the, that deep-seated covetousness really is a twin to pride. I want what I want for me. And um, it goes on to say, and you know, every sin you ever commit comes down to that root. You either do what you know God wants you to do, and you do what God has given, and you know what God has given, and you worship God in it, or you worship yourself, you violate God, and you set yourself up as the one to be satisfied, and the, you set yourself up as the one to be worshipped, you, yourself as the one to be given homage, respect, and you do that sin. And every time you sin, you go right back to that same route. You have chosen yourself over God. That's idolatry. And idolatry is the most heinous sin. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And God said, you shall have no other gods before me. He included you as one of those no other gods. But deep down covetousness, that deep down covetousness, when it's directed towards money, where does it end up? Stealing. When it's directed towards fame, where does it end up? Boasting. Remember the farmer that boasted, look what I've done, look what I've done. And uh, when covetousness is directed towards success, it ends up in selfish ambition and hurting other people. When it's directed towards power, it ends up in tyranny. And when 
covetousness is directed towards a person, it often results in sexual sin. The desire to um, have is self-seeking greed. Okay, so... Um, I think that is a good stopping place because we stopped after number one, mortify. So we have the um, put off and do not lie left to do. Questions about those things? Cindy. Yes, yes. And, and he did that. I believe that he did that on purpose, uh, not because it wasn't important, but in trying to focus on Christ, we know that the Holy Spirit is a primary agent. He's our comforter. He's the one that comes alongside. He, gives, he enables us and he gives us power. We know that Christ lives in us as well, but he refrains from talking about the Holy Spirit so that he can focus on Christ because that's their main error is denying uh, the Christ. So I think he only mentions the Holy Spirit one time in the entire book. And that's uh, um, interesting. But he does that for the sake of more powerful argument, not, not denying it or overlooking it on person. Um, I, I know these things aren't pleasant, but it's, it's powerful to see where the error is and how a thought um, it leads to a sin, and and uh, um, and first time I read covetousness as idolatry, I thought, well, that's interesting. And then I thought, wow, that is really true because if I do what I want, I'm I'm worshiping me. And uh, okay, other questions. Thank you all for being here. Thank you online. Um, if you have questions, send me an email. <laughs> or a text okay let's pr let's pray father thank you so much for the word of god we thank you for this book which is so wonderful so powerful so helpful to help us understand what you not only the doctrine and all of the things surrounding our salvation and what Christ has done for us and the supremacy of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ but also how we should then live. I pray, Father, you would help us to be Christians that live in a way which is pleasing to you, most worshipful to you, that we would uh, enable ourselves to live in the heavenlies and to seek those things which are above and to set our affections and our mind on those things. I pray that you would keep us from sin and that you would be with us uh, as we go into our service, that you would bless our time together and the word of God and the songs we sing and the, the uh, message and our response to that message all would be glorifying to you. Thank you for each family that's represented here. We pray, Father, that you would be with those that are sick and ill at home, those that, that here, they have family members that are ill. Pray that you would um, provide your healing hand and be with them and comfort them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.